But I'm going to say the same thing to the uh, viewing audience here that I say to our, uh, our staff and our clients is that the deal isn't done until it's closed. Good morning. This is episode 101 of KT Confidential. I'm Adrian Trott. Top of the morning to you, Mr. Trot. This is my hey, I was supposed to, better half. I was supposed to do the intro Ariel this time. Mendy. Oh, sorry, I forgot about that. And uh, I had, had to flip flop. Uh, next time, we'll you thought I was stealing the show. Well, I, you know, I'm just trying to take some responsibility off. You're up north, relaxing. I just thought the less you have to worry about, the better. Thanks, but I am nothing right, I, close I to relaxing. I know. I should uh, correct myself. Owning a cottage is not always relaxing. I feel so terrible for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, today today is actually uh, probably step two in the closing process. And uh, I want to close everything up by the end of the month before the pipes have a chance of freezing. Which is um, probably just around the corner. I mean, it could have happened already, couple, too. It, First snowfall is scheduled for next uh, next week. So, um, you know, as soon as the snow starts coming down in a couple of days below zero, you need uh, you need a few days below zero for the pipes to really freeze over. But um, you don't want to take that risk because if it happens, you're you could be into a few thousand bucks to fix it. So yes, uh, and, never good and damage. Water and damage, damage is never good. Although, so I came I up assume, last night. I assume and your pump is turned off when you're not there, right? Nope. Why not? Mm, I don't know. I just leave everything on so we can come up and just start using it right away and keep the hot water in the hot water tank and keep the water hot. And I don't okay. know. Maybe you should look into that. <laughs> Actually, I thought about, I thought I about that because yeah. I'm looking into uh, new pumps for next year. And uh, I mean, our family cottage, we turn it off every time we leave, but we also don't have um, a hot water tank. So I don't know how it would affect that. Would the water stay yeah. in there or would it drain without the pressure? I don't know. I, I guess you would, shut, you would shut both in. off. You would just shut both off. Yeah, and then do you leave water in the hot water tank if you shut the power off to it? That I don't know. Or you just use it up. You say, okay, we're leaving in five hours. We'll just use it up on clean dishes and having a shower. Yeah, not a bad point. Anyways, episode 101 of KT Confidential. Enough about all of the work I have to do. I'm sure a lot of you listening to that that don't own a cottage, you're like, go fuck yourself. But uh, today we have a topic that I think is going to become a, a topic of discussion in the not too distant future. Up until and 2017, it wasn't really a, much of a discussion at all. Very little. Yeah. So today we're talking about what happens if I back out of my deal? Um, you purchase a home, what happens if the purchaser of a listing of a property um, backs out and doesn't close? Right. I don't know. Title it whatever you want, but that's well, what we're talking about. Just yesterday, um, 
And I get this question quite often. Just last night, I was negotiating the sale of one of our properties and the owners, uh, once we had settled on everything and it was a, a done deal, um, one of their questions for me was, okay, so how long do they have to back out now? Uh, so, you know, I, I went, you know, I explained the process to them um, because, and so clearly not a lot of people understand how it works. Um, and the reason I, I wanted to chat about this one today too, is I recently read an article. Um, so I'll just summarize the article really quickly because it was really interesting. Um, so basically in 2017, uh, the peak of the market, a house in Toronto sold for $1.9 million. There was about a dozen offers. The winning bid um, was a firm offer. So that meant no conditions. And they subsequently, so they got the deal, they gave the deposit, and then they went off and worked on selling their house, which was not a part of the offer. It was not a condition to the sale. Anyways, time passes, closing day comes around, the buyer has not sold their house. So the bank will not give them the money they need to close on the house. So they call the, sell, the, the seller of the new house they purchased and said, I can't close. Um, anyway, so the deal falls apart. The seller resells the house for $600,000 less because now the market has crashed um, later on in 2017. And fast forward. Crash, crash. It didn't crash. It, it, retracted. it dropped like 20, 30%. It was substantial. Um, anyway, so fast forward a year or two after a bunch of legal proceedings and the buyer was held responsible for the difference in the selling price. So they had to pay $620,000 plus um, some other costs that they incurred, such as legal fees, um, court appeal fees, things like that. So huge money. Um, so it was really interesting to read because I wonder if in hindsight, because well, it happened to us, it happened to us on one of our listings. We yeah. sold it uh, at the pretty close to the peak of 2017. So that probably was, March or April-ish of 2017. Yeah. And uh, the buyer purchased it in multiple offers, firm deal, no conditions. Uh, luckily, we did have a 5% deposit, which is typically what we uh, request um, and try and negotiate for on behalf of our sellers. Uh, we had that. So the buyer went and listed their property for sale in Mississauga. And they they actually overpriced it. it. It was weird because I believed that the property should have sold. So maybe they didn't want to sell it. I'm not too sure what happened there. But anyways, they didn't sell their home. They used that as an excuse for not being able to close on our listing, on the property they purchased. And... Um, and after discussion with the seller and the seller's lawyer, who happened to be a lawyer that I've done many transactions with. So that's actually a point I wanted to bring up in past podcasts because I had an issue last week of one of our clients using a lawyer that was recommended to them, but recommended to them by some of their colleagues or friends or somebody. And uh, I had no idea who this lawyer was. And I don't know that real estate law is their prime 
area that they focus on as a solicitor. And we had issues. Uh, we had troubles at closing. Anyways, use a lawyer that we recommend or that is known in the area that you're buying and selling in. Um, so Speaking of which, I have a story in- about that too. We'll get to later. Yeah, well, this is actually an interesting story. It, it has a lot of tips in it, one of which is don't close on a Friday before a long weekend. Yeah. Which I always preach. Yeah. So uh, if just to quickly elaborate on this story, my client ended up closing on the sale, the listing that we sold. Yeah. But the purchase didn't close in time because the lawyer didn't receive the funds from the um, financial institution. And my client was left homeless over Thanksgiving long weekend. Oh my goodness. Because basically the broker, the financial institution and the lawyer, some between the three of them, somebody dropped the ball. And, um, you know, uh, my guess is the law office wanted to go home for some turkey and uh you know the land registry office closes at i don't know four o'clock i think anyways um so what happened in this situation was we spoke to the seller and the lawyer and the lawyer suggested that and are you going back are you back on topic now yep okay back on topic sorry Got a little sidetracked. No, no, that's quite all right. I want to make sure we have a clear line of... My morning coffee chat, right? Yes. Um, By the way, how do you take your your coffee now? Is it just milk only? Yes. Sometimes black, usually just a bit of milk. Yeah. I'm a a black coffee kind of guy. Today, splash of uh, almond milk. I made an eggnog latte the other day. Yeah, I've tried that. I don't know. Do you find that the froth gets frothy? Not particularly. It's not as it's not quite the it's same. Too heavy. Yeah. Well, it's I mixed. Heavy. I did fifty-fifty milk and um, eggnog. Yeah. Anyways, back on topic. Sorry. So, so we had this listing. It 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 sold. the The buyer couldn't sell their property. They used that as an excuse of not being able to close. So they refused to close, essentially, a couple of weeks before close. Uh, it was actually, they, they were generous enough. It was about a month before closing. So we had, it, it sold for a million bucks. We had $50,000 as a deposit. And they refused to close. The lawyer suggested that we do everything that we can to force them to close, but we can't force them to close. So, so they refused and the lawyer said, okay, resell the house. You got no choice because now our sellers, they purchased a brand new home with a builder and that was set to close as well. So it's got this trickle down effect, right? Yeah. And um, so we resold the home and we resold it for, I want to say 925 or nine. It was just over nine, yeah. Yeah, 930, something like that. The funny story, and you know how much it sold for, but the funny story with this one is the people that bought it for that 920 or 930,000 just hired us uh, earlier this year to resell the house for them. 
because they saw what a good job we did in that yeah. sale that they didn't even use we've, their own we've real. We sold that house three times. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, all in a matter of three years. Um, so we resold the house for nine twenty-five or nine thirty or something. The seller decided that because we had the fifty thousand dollar deposit, because they had to pay the brokerage. Uh, fees twice the listing brokerage got paid twice in the equation um i wonder or, if their buyer if their agent got paid because they would know nope. they would have been well, due the money I don't yeah because he did his job right uh but that would be a separate litigation between yes. his brokerage and his client and because he ultimately did sell their property, I'm assuming he ended up helping them purchase a property. So that would, you know, um, that would wash each other out. You can't can't expect to get. Well, I mean, technically, he could he could take them to court and well, say, "Hey, I, I helped think you he, buy that home too." He but, wouldn't have continued working with them if that were the case, though. Right. So imagine they find out after the fact. Yeah. He helped them buy and sell, and all of a sudden he's suing them for the home that they didn't end up closing on. Yeah. Um, anyway, so so they took them to court and uh and they won. They won. They won uh for mitigated damages, they won for the difference in the selling prices, plus lawyer fees plus court fees and and the whole bit so i don't know the exact sum i i rounded up to about a hundred grand yeah so the buyers that didn't close paid a hundred grand just to walk away basically yeah um so i'm not sure if they got if the difference from what they sold their home for compared to what they hoped to have gotten earlier in the year if that was a hundred grand or less. I don't know, but, um, that's a lot of bread to walk away. And, and we heard a lot of stories of this happening in 2017, right? Like a lot of new construction, especially because people had purchased a year or two in advance and they weren't anticipating that the market was going to do what it did when it came time to close on new construction. So that's a risk you take with new construction is you're buying in the future, uh, under the premise that the market is going to be in a good position and you're going to be able to sell for X amount of money in order to afford the new home. So versus resale where you're buying and selling what would seemingly be in the same market, assuming you're ready to go on both ends right away. So to answer the question, well, that's, that's, that, that's why I always say buy and sell in the same market. Well, and that's you why you got to buy and sell in the same market, a matter of a month or two or 10 or even 24 weeks. months, man, the whole landscape of the uh, market can change. And yes, you can get lucky and you can buy in an air in a time where, you know, the, the market is still low in comparison to what it'll be 12 to 24 months out. But you can also be buying in a market where it could be at the peak over the next 12 to 24 months. And that's what happened in 2017. People bought in 2015 and 16 um, and were closing in 2017. And they time, the timing just didn't line up. They were closing in May, June, July of 2017 where there was no activity. And they had to sell during those months. And they 
and get as much money as they hope they not would a good, get. Not a good position to be in. Hey, just I want nope. to interrupt this for a, a brief second to say that if you are just tuning into this podcast for the first time, hit that like button for us and subscribe to the channel. That's it. Now we can continue. Um, I, I just also to answer the question, because I get a question a lot from sellers is how long do they have? Like they basically they want to know when can I sleep at night? When are we done with the whole process of selling? When is it firm? When am I, when is the buyer committed? As oh, you're going as, totally off topic. <laughs> yeah. Well, with the, with what the like, what? Hmm? What? No, no, what you're saying right now. Well, this is what the conversation, this is the topic of conversation, though. I'm saying is it, and go, sorry, going back to, I was saying last night when I was working that deal, my clients were asking because they were, you know, the process of selling is, you know, a tedious one. It can be, it can be very stressful. It's a lot of work, people coming and going and you being inconvenienced. And once it's sold, you want to know it's sold. You want to know it's a done deal. No more stress about worrying that I have to sell. And, the question from them is when is the buyer committed? And the answer to that is as soon as it's a firm deal and you have the deposit, it's a legally binding contract. So at that point, if the buyer backs uh, out. Let, let me correct you right there for one second, because even without the deposit, it is still a binding contract. Well, uh, law in Canada requires some form of consideration. If you don't have the deposit, then it technically in my eyes is not. So I don't know if you maybe have taken court for that and see what the, the judge would determine to be the answer, but for a contract to be legally binding, you need some form of consideration. Um, so I have heard stories where people won cases where the deposit was not received. They still went after the buyer and won. Um, but I think that would, and I, there's no, I think that's probably in the eyes of the judge at that point. I don't know. But nevertheless, you get the deposit, no conditions, or the conditions have now been firmed up. It's a done deal. The buyer's legally bound to it. Um, it doesn't mean they can't back out, but it means, like you're talking about, Ariel, if something does happen, you've probably got pretty good grounds to stand on, albeit probably not a fun process to go through but it's likely that you'll hopefully be able to recoup some of your losses. But the most important thing is to do everything in your power to minimize those losses so that when you're going through the legal proceedings, you can say to the court, look, I did this, this, and this to make sure I was at an absolute minimal loss. Um, and I think it's, it, it, it would be a very easy story to sell a judge on in terms of uh, getting a compensation for those losses. So as soon as you know that the buyer is not going to firm up, uh, you want to consult with your lawyer, of course, but it's likely that they will advise you, you need to immediately get your house back on the market. Don't That's diddle usually what happens. Yeah. That's usually what happens. But I'm going to say the same thing to the uh, viewing audience here that I say to our uh, our staff and our clients is that the deal isn't done until it's closed, right? Like until that money is in your account or the lawyer calls you and says, okay, your deal is closed and ownership's been transferred. It's not done until then because anything can happen. And that's why, you know, um, like we sell a lot of homes in a matter of days and some people think, oh, wow, that was easy. Uh, you'd, 
you didn't have to work too hard for this one. You know, people joke about that. And aside from the fact that there's so many hours and so much work that goes in leading up to that day of the sale, um, but a lot of people don't recognize there is actually a lot of work behind the scenes for the brokerage, for the realtor, for the lawyers, uh, from the day that the deal does firm up until the day of closing. And ensuring that it does close and close in time is is part of that process, right? So, yeah. Well, I mean, to think um, the one I did last you can't night... Let is... your, you can't let your guard down. You can't let your no. guard down because at any point, you can get that call and, um, you know, your buy the buyer of your the sale of your property says, ah, sorry, not closing. Yeah, it's interesting because there are some other markets where it's different. I know I have some clients that moved. They're from the UK. They moved to Canada. And then we subsequently sold their house and they moved back to the UK. And he was telling me that in England, I don't know if it's all of the UK or what, but um, the deal's literally not done until it's done in the sense that the buyer can and legally is allowed to back out at any time. So that would, I don't know how that works. That would be. Yeah. I mean, every, every uh, area of the world is going to be different in how they trade in, in real estate, as you know, in um, as an example in Panama, uh, it's very different than uh, it would be in uh, in Canada or even in the states. You know the deals going into escrow, and uh, you know then things can happen during that escrow period um, that can lead to a faulty deal or a, a deal that just goes sideways, um, and that can happen weeks and weeks and weeks after a deal is struck. So. You know, um, but in Canada, I think Canadians are actually really lucky because the trading of real estate is very, um, as silly as sometimes the governing bodies are that govern um, real estate in the country, it, they are very good. And there are a lot of rules, regulations, and laws surrounding the trading of real estate that do protect the consumer quite well. In yes. comparison to many other areas of the world, if not all of the other world, yeah, there's and that's many why Canadian real estate very few to no laws that protect anybody. Well, that's it, and that's why Canadian real estate, aside from all of the demand and and you know, there's a lot of um, immigration into our country uh, that create a lot of that demand as well. But um, that's why Canadian real estate is known worldwide as being one of the best investments possible um that's so you know you got to feel good about that as um as a canadian and as an investor in in real estate and it for most people being their their prime investment their number one investment that um that probably encompasses most of the equity that you you have in your life that's right now just to clarify too for people like in terms of when a buyer can back out of a deal, if there's a conditional period and every contract will be different, but if there's a conditional period and let's say there's a condition upon a home inspection and that particular condition will state the amount of time that they have to complete that home inspection. Let's say that happens to be five business days, which is not unheard of. It's very common during that period of time, it would be considered a conditional sale. So if the buyer for some reason completed a home inspection, and they weren't satisfied with the results of it, they could, at that, during that period of time, get their money back, and then you'd be going back on the market. 
every contract's going to be written differently. So you'd have to confirm how yours is done. But generally speaking, uh, during that period of time, it is uh, completely in the buyer's hands. And actually, a different interesting topic too. Whether there's one condition or 15 conditions, it's very much the same because you're not going to be able to stop a buyer from canceling. A conditional deal is a conditional deal. And unless the condition is something so specific and requires proof of said conditional terms, uh, we'll say, um, it's basically an out clause. It can be an out clause for anything. As a home inspection, as an example, if, you know, let's just say there was a previous leak found or, um, insulation not adequate in the um in the wall or in the attic or you know something of significance but nothing not really. really not yeah i mean what's significant uh, that's 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 the variable right well like, is i mean uh, it depends on the wording of the clause i suppose but exactly. in most cases it's and, so and, vague it doesn't matter and that's why it's important to have a realtor, whether you're selling or buying, the wording of the contract, the wording of the conditions and the clauses, specifically in the schedules. So schedule A, schedule B, schedule C, whatever schedules you have in the agreement, because the agreement of purchase and sale is, for the most part, pre-printed. It's the schedules that will determine you know, the success of that transaction on the behalf of whoever it's being written for. So if I'm representing a buyer client, you know, those schedules are going to be written to protect my buyer client. Of course. Yes. So as, as the selling agent, you really want to look at that word by word and make sure that your seller is not getting screwed in, in accepting these conditions, right? So I had one the uh, other day that was interesting. I re, uh, obviously read through them in detail. And within one condition, the last sentence was a completely unrelated topic as it pertained to that paragraph. And it was talking about, out of the blue, it said that... Um, uh, all holes in the walls will be patched and painted, be it from removing wall-mounted televisions to removing artwork. Uh, and it was just this one sentence that was included at the end of a paragraph that could have very easily been, been overlooked. Can you imagine if they actually included that and then the buyer tried to, you'd have to repaint the whole house. Well, can you imagine if, if that clause that's a clause that's not a condition yes um if that clause was written like that and that's all it said you literally technically you literally could have your three-year-old go there with some putty yes fill in fill it in yeah and then and then take like a, a palette of different colors and just you know <laughs> Just go like this and, and take some, some brushes and just paint it, if right? They, if they tried to hold me, hold that up, I would probably do that. <laughs> that would be fun. But anyways, it's very important to read through in detail. Even though a clause may look standard or a condition may look like a standard condition, it's important to read it because they can change any word. Uh, and even just changing one word can change the whole context of the, the condition or clause. Correct. Anyways, I think we've covered it. 
if your buyer is, uh, if it's a firm deal and you have the deposit, or maybe even if you don't have the deposit as per Ariel, it is a firm deal, legally binding. And although they still can back out. Uh, one, one thing, I, I got to interrupt you go because one thing we didn't touch on. Uh, first of all, if you're selling your home, you got to have you got to have the peace of mind of having that 5% deposit. At least get 5% if you can. I saw something Depends said your battery is low. You don't know, you doing okay for battery? Yeah. The I got 2 minutes. Um, get enough deposits so you can hold somebody more accountable uh, to try and keep that deal together if they try and back out. But the question that I get all the time and we didn't talk about this is what happens to the deposit? Right. Right, like a lot of sellers when they sell, I had home this conversation last says, night. The buyer says, "Okay, I, I can't close, or I'm backing out." People automatically assume that that they get that deposit. No, 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 no. You don't automatically get the deposit. The deposit is held in the listing brokerage's trust account until closing. If the property doesn't close, that money doesn't move out of the trust account unless both the buyer and the seller agree to. Uh, on the terms of the disbursement of that money or until the courts say so. So there has to be a, a mutual agreement as to what happens with, with those funds. Um, it doesn't automatically go uh, to the uh, um, seller just because the buyer refuses. So, well, and you need so to be careful then too, because if you do accept the deposit and the buyer agrees to give it to you, it potentially could be considered that was their compensation for canceling the deal. Now, if you go reselling it for significantly less, an amount greater than the deposit, the courts may say, well, you settled already and you agreed to That's accept that deposit. That's a very good point because that basically says you're releasing the previous buyer from that transaction. Yeah. It then becomes a mutual release. You got compensation for releasing them and you're done with it. Yes. So don't jump to take the money. Uh, consult with your lawyer and go through the motions of the process properly. Hey, if you listened to us this far and you like our podcast, please like. And if you really like this podcast, make sure you subscribe. This was episode 101 of KT Confidential, the real estate podcast. Follow us at Cormendi Trot on Instagram, and uh, we'll see you next week. Have fun at the cottage, buddy.